Hey, you're listening to Burst Your Bubble. I'm Josh, and I've got Kyler here with me. We're here to bring you the sharpest sports takes. Today, we dive into our breakdown of Game 1 in the 2016 NBA Finals. Then the NFL has gone virtual in their offseason program. My man Christian McCaffrey secured his bag and a totem pole of the ages with Adam Sandler movies. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Burst Your Bubble. Remember to rate, review, and continue to share us with your friends or literally anyone you know. Thanks for listening, and remember, no hard feelings because more than likely, one of us will burst your bubble. Kyler, I know how much we both have loved what Anchor has given us as a podcasting platform. Ladies and gents, if you haven't heard of Anchor yet, you're missing out. Most importantly, it's free. Anchor gives you the ability to edit and upload your podcast directly from your phone to get anywhere you can get your podcast. Apple Music, Spotify, it'll be there. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listeners. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. So, Kyler, over the weekend, uh, the wife and I were looking at different things, ways to improve the house. You know, it's quarantine's got to start crazy trying to figure out something to do. So we decided that we were going to buy a new oven. The oven that we have, uh, that we had didn't really keep temperature. It wasn't really good. So we wanted an upgrade. So we spent a few hours looking online, and we finally found one from Lowe's. 35% off. It was 550 bucks. So we ordered it. Bam. It's got a whole lot of good reviews. Everything's great. You know, Lowe's right here in Tahlequah delivery. They got it to us yesterday morning. Super fast. I was pumped. That's awesome. They wheel it in while I'm on the phone with my wife. And she's like, hey, you know, they brought it in. And the guy said, uh, yeah, I bet you're wondering why it's not in a box. And she was like, well, yeah, that is kind of strange. She was like, well, it's the last one we had. And so you guys got the floor model. And he kind of laughed it off. And we kind of went on. And then we were thinking about it. And I was like, man. We got the floor model, but we didn't we didn't get a discount for the floor model discount. We just got it because it was on sale. And coronavirus is out there, so I'm not trying to take this oven into my house without either a discount or getting a new one because of the coronavirus. And, you know, it just kind of sketched me out a little bit. So I spent about six hours yesterday all together on hold with customer service, bro. I finally, last night, I finally got a hold of them, asked the guy what I could get. Got 20% extra off. So I ended up paying like $400 for this oven. And then today we set it up. My wife gets it all hooked up and everything. One of the burners, as soon as you get it lit, the flame goes up to the cabinets. (laughs) Bro, it almost caught my house on fire. Bro, imagine all the corona that is shot into your ceiling. Bro, that's what I'm saying. And so like at first we thought that it was a one-time thing. And so we tried to light it and it didn't light the second time. So then we did it again and it went even higher the second time, (laughs) bro. And then like, if you turn it down low, the flame is still like a foot off the burner. Wow. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you get that figured out? Did you call them back? Well, so, uh, you know, with the coronavirus hours, Lowe's closed at seven today. So then it was like seven 15 when we figured out what was all going on. So, I'm going to have to call them tomorrow and get somebody to come out uh, and either replace this oven or uh, fix it. Hopefully they can just fix it. But yeah, so that, that's been a, that's been the adventure we've had. Josh, with the oven and with it being a floor model and with Corona, I definitely wouldn't be opposed to them taking that oven out of your house for you. Yeah, we, we, you know, we wiped it down. We sanitized it whenever we got it in. My, my wife, she took all the, all the precautions, and she was being extra careful. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm okay with taking a little bit of a discount. But now it's got me second-guessing it because possibility of corona and it burning down my house? Mm. Yeah, well, I'd take the corona, like, you know, and even with the heat, it'd probably cook off after a time or two. You made a lasagna or a pizza. It'd probably be gone. So, I mean, that's definitely okay, but – with the burner doing that, yeah, I definitely have to get somebody out there to fix that. Yeah, so that, that'll be that'll be what my day consists of today is, you know, making those phone calls and uh, getting somebody out here to fix my new oven. Yeah, today, so I, Josh, I'm not going to be doing a whole lot of anything. You know, uh, Kennedy and I, we built a fort today. Um, that was, that included, that I mean, that concluded our our plans for the day. Um, we, we did that around 11, so, so we had the full day to ourselves just to chill in our fort. Um, you know, we made it probably about 15, 17 square feet. So it was, it was a decent size fort in the living room. 
Was um, it pillows? Uh, mostly sheets, pillows, um, objects around the house, furniture, really just something that we could stand up in and, you know, take a nap in basically. So yeah, so you so you just got her to build the fort so you could nap all day. That's so smart. No, I was I was in charge of building the fort. She was actually in charge of destroying the fort, but uh, I had to I had to build it uh, in a way that where she couldn't. But uh, also in my in my ventures today, I found that, and I think I mentioned it in a previous pod that the NFL app um, was actually offering Game Pass for free, like the NBA was. Um, but I actually just signed up for it. Uh, today and I was watching it and they're actually airing a uh, red zone uh, three days a week. Uh, I mean, three times a day. Uh, each day they're showing a new week. Today they showed week nine. So I got to watch week nine red zone today on, on the NFL network. So do you remember any uh, highlights or anything from week nine? Yeah, I remember uh, Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs, you know, they're electric as always. And uh, the guy that we can go ahead and transition to the headlines uh, and talk about a little bit, Dalvin Cook, man, he is so underrated. He is underrated. That man is super fast. He's young. You know, he got injured his first year, so a lot of people were were down on him, especially from a fantasy standpoint. But he is underrated, and he is he's very good. Shifty, knows how to hit the holes and break free. Yeah, definitely. And uh, speaking of speaking of some running backs that are you know great at breaking free and uh, hitting that hole, Christian McCaffrey, Josh, he he got paid. Got the Brinks truck backed up to his house. The man secured his bag. I love it. I couldn't be happier for the guy. I think if there's a running back in the league right now that deserves that money, it's Christian McCaffrey. He's he's a complete running back. He he deserves every bit of that money. I, you know, we had Chris on uh, a while back talking about running backs don't matter. Uh, this is this is a case where this player definitely deserves the money, and I, I couldn't be happier for the guy. You know, Josh, I disagree with you. I, I don't like the move. I thought we – Josh, we just had the discussion a week or two ago. We don't pay running backs. Quit paying the running backs. You're wasting your money. And honestly, Josh, they're paying him, I think, because they like the guy. I mean, he's, he's, fr- he's going to be – he's young. He's just as young as Alvin Kamara, no, notably. But he's a young guy, pretty face, good smile, strong chin. Face the franchise, he's going to be the Madden cover in a couple of years. The fans wanted, wanted him re-signed, so he didn't leave Carolina, and he's not going to leave Carolina, maybe ever. But, Josh, I don't – I thought we were done paying the running backs. Well, let me – so, even – not even just from a fantasy perspective, this man isn't just a running back. A 1,000 yards rushing, a 1,000 yards receiving. This man secured the money. He was the best running back in 2019 – in the 2019 season – he was the, he was the guy, the player, uh, and I think that it shows. I think that he's done enough, especially the past two years, to to get paid. You know, Ezekiel Elliott just got the contract uh, that the big contract he had. I think it was fifteen mil a year, uh, something like that. If it worked out, this he's getting paid sixteen a mil, sixteen mil a year. But in that season, he averaged eight point seven yards per reception. Uh, in a, a season where Dalvin Cook and Austin Eckler averaged almost 11 yards per reception. And Austin Eckler, you know, um, coming off the season where he's backing up Melvin Gordon, where he's in a lockout situation, where he's in a contract negotiation. Let's say Austin Eckler was on Carolina as a backup and, you know, had this, was a great backup was, you know, they had somebody back there that's established or that, you know, not even if he's established somebody that, you know, of his pedigree, do you think they, give Christian McCaffrey this extension? If they have a, a bona fide backup that can do this, I think it depends because, you know, the situation could change. You, you know, you don't know how much running backs get split. But the thing is, you didn't need to split that with Christian McCaffrey where you do these other guys. These other guys aren't putting up a 13, almost 1,400 yards rushing and, uh, and, a th- and 1,005 yards receiving. P- players aren't doing that. I don't care, you know, who's on your team, who's not. Christian McCaffrey put up a th- over 1,000 rushing and 1,000 receiving yards with over 100 receptions. That, that's an incredible feat that is doing things for a team that normal players don't do. He is an elite – he's an elite running back. He's, a, he's an elite player. This man, if you can make the argument for anyone to get paid, it is Christian McCaffrey. I think Christian McCaffrey deserves this money more than Ezekiel Elliott deserved his contract. 
No, Josh, you're making my point for me. You said if they had a formidable back, you know, they wouldn't pay him. And that's, that's my point. These backs are so disposable. These backs are so interchangeable. You can get somebody like Austin Eckler, somebody in there, Josh, just as good. It's all, the, the 49ers did it last year. They, I mean, they, they have four or five running backs that they're paying less money than $16 million a year combined, less than you know, $12 million a year combined. And with Wait a that, that's more, more money to put elsewhere. Did you just say that Austin Eckler was just as good as Christian McCaffrey? No, I said there's someone just as good as Austin – or just, just as good as Austin Eckler. If you have someone in there, if you have uh, someone like that, you know, if, if you have a running tandem of Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler, that's just as good as Christian McCaffrey. I, I just – I don't think so. The numbers don't prove that. If, if you take what Christian McCaffrey has been able to do and you – The numbers do Eckler, prove that. The numbers are better than his. Whose numbers are better than his? Austin Eckler's. Austin Eckler's numbers are not better than Christian McCaffrey's. Yards per reception, the yards that matter. You're talking about he's a, he's a more dynamic back. How many Austin Eckler is the more dynamic back did he than have? Him. How many receptions did he have? He didn't have near over 100. He had in the 80s. I mean, you're acting like he didn't have any. Yeah, but Christian McCaffrey, he had 116. That's 30 more. That's 30 more receptions. And how many that wins the do they have? And that's what I'm saying. It's not, not going to translate – Playing with a rookie quarterback, you're getting those drop balls that's behind the, behind the line of scrimmage and a yard or two out for check down passes. That's the kind of passes Christian McCaffrey got all year long. And, and you, know who th- you know who throws those balls a lot? Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater throws nothing but, but passes behind the line of scrimmage. That's what I'm saying, Josh. It's good for Christian McCaffrey. It's good for the Panthers. They have their face of the franchise. They have their mat, bad and cover. I'm just saying this won't direct, directly translate to winning games, and I hope they know that. Oh, paying $16 million for a, for a great running back, good. You have your you, – I mean, you, you saw Peyton Hillis. I mean, he got his Madden cover and he got his contract. It, it will not win you games. Paying a running back alone will not win you games. That point, yeah, I'll agree with. But if, you can, if you're going to make a case to pay someone money based on their ability to perform in the NFL, to perform in the league, Christian McCaffrey is the running back that you can make the argument for. You can't tell me that he's not the running back that deserves that money the most. I mean, Josh, I, I, I can pull up arguments for people saying the same thing about Todd Gurley two years ago. And if he hadn't gotten hurt, you know, that might have worked out for the Rams. That's a game that you play with any sport for any contract. But if you have a player that you know that's been solid and he's been performing these years and you want to keep him on your roster, you're going to have to pay the man. Definitely. And I think this is kind of like the case with, with Philip Rivers. We saw that, you know, he got broke off. He got paid $25 million a year when I don't think anybody else would have came close to that number. And I don't think anybody would have came close to $16 million a year for Christian McCaffrey. I, I, I don't agree. I think that teams would have paid that much for Christian McCaffrey. Uh, maybe more of in the $15 million range with Ezekiel Elliott's contract. He probably got the extra mil because the Panthers like him. They wanted him to be the highest paid running back. But Christian McCaffrey is a high commodity, and he would have gotten paid a lot of money by a lot of teams because this man, he's elite. He's special. There's, there's, right now in the NFL, there's probably only one running back that's better than Christian McCaffrey. No, Josh, I completely agree with you. And I would, I would almost say he was, he's the best. But le- who was the last pass-catching back that came out like this and, you know, needed his money, wanted to be paid like a wide receiver? Le'Veon Bell. In his best year, how many, how many yards per reception did he average? Over 10. How many yards per attempt on the ground did he average? Almost six. So, I mean, Josh, I mean, it, it, I understand he's, he is the number one back in the league right now. He, he earned this money. But and that's what they're paying for right now. They're paying for his stats from this year and next year. That's it. I think after that, that's I think he will start to digress like Le'Veon Bell has. So I don't think that he's the number one back in the league right now. I think that Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the league, but he's definitely number two. And and he does deserve I mean, he deserves to get paid based on what he has done. And there's no there's no reason to believe that he's gonna digress. The fact that he's as young as he is and playing at the level he is. With the team that he's playing with, I, I think that he's in a perfect system to, to continue to develop and to continue to be a great running back. Yeah, he may not put up a thousand and thousand every year, but I don't think that that's necessarily going to be a uh, you know such a downplay. It might focus more on uh, you know getting more rushes involved, spreading the ball out to receivers. But I do think that he's going to be a factor for Carolina for at, at least a couple of years throughout this contract. And I, I'm if there's a running back that could have that should have gotten paid, it's Christian McCaffrey. 
I'll agree with you. And, uh, you know, that's a good point there with the, about getting it mixed in with, with more of the offense. And that's, that's going to be a, you know, part of Joe Brady. You know, that's Joe Brady's number one, number one job right now, you know, making sure his, his number one star is healthy. So, uh, you know, hopefully he'll get that done. But like I said, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, there was a lot of passes behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, Joe Brady, not really a running back heavy offense. He was down there in New Orleans, though, with – so maybe they'll implement something like Alvin Kamara has. Yeah, you know, you have to trust Brady to be able to to turn this into a, a good situation for all the players involved and to be able to bring them into success. And then, you know, you also have to you also have to look at what Matt Rule is going to do whenever he comes in as a first-year head coach and how he's going to – you know, what he's going to do with this offense now that's going to translate to Christian McCaffrey moving forward and what they're going to do as quarterback. Definitely. You know, I, that all starts in the offseason, but it looks like that's going to be all uh, what we're doing right now, Josh, looking up Zoom, looking at each other on Zoom, looking at some playbooks uh, on some on some PowerPoints. Uh, what do you think about that? It's it's definitely interesting. I mean, it's it's different. It's but, you know, I'm not completely against it. I think that it's going to be good to be able to get some of these guys looking at the playbook, getting some education in. Uh, for the programs and starting to learn the offenses, learn the defenses. It's a good way to start integrating guys, even though they're not, you know, arms around each other or, you know, at the practice field. It's a good way for them to to interact and to be able to start integrating themselves into back into the program. Definitely. You know, uh, I see people like, you know, dumping on this. Like, I'll relate it to the horse competition whenever this is related. And people were just, you know, trashing it. They're trying. You know, they're they're giving us something. So, like, they're giving the players something. You know, they can't have them in. They can't, you know, have real workouts. They're talking about, you know, giving them a stipend of, you know, so many $1,500, something like that, to get workout equipment if they don't have it, uh, whatever. But uh, this is basically, to me, um, virtual OTAs, the optional, you know, training, whatever. So uh, that's basically what this is to me, introducing the playbook to them, hoping they look at it, you know, maybe an hour a day. I think that's that's the most you can hope for out of these players, other than you know your your really dedicated ones. Yeah, and the and the funny thing about this is going to be whether or not you see coaches or other players start uh, quote unquote snitching on the players who weren't as dedicated as the other ones to try to motivate them a little bit and to to get them wrapped back into the program. Uh, I could see you know some some Bill Belichick's or some uh, Andy Reid's you know calling a couple guys out. Definitely. You know, I think, and that's also something we'll see. We'll see people that, that haven't studied the playbook in the off season these, on their computer when they're supposed to in the morning. You know what I mean? We'll see, we'll see players that, that have no idea what they're supposed to be doing. They all have no idea of their assignments just because they didn't, they, they haven't, they didn't do what they're supposed to do on their computer. They're on their phones or whatever. Yeah. And that's, and you see that in everything, but with these NFL players, I think, especially now, since you don't know what the off season is going to look like, what the, you know, getting back into training facilities you can't do it until all the other teams are doing it at no other time is as important as right now to be able to get back into the playbooks and to to actually participate in these things you look at teams like the cleveland browns uh you know with obj coming back off an injury with baker mayfield wanting to take a step forward and not uh, not be a dud a complete dud in the nfl you know these players want to take that and they want to build on something so it, it's going to be crucial to the nfl and i think the quality of the season yeah, so Josh, I was looking, I was listening to a podcast today um, that LeBron James is actually on with Richard Jefferson and uh, Channing Frye, and he was talking about how um, you know when the season shut down, his body kind of told him his body was talking to him, saying like, you know, what the hell are you doing? You know, this is it's the middle of March. You got the playoffs next month. What are you shutting down for? You know, you better get ready. But you know, he had to just sit, sit continue to sit at his house like the rest of us. And I think that kind of speaks to it with the, with the NFL. Josh, the OTAs and uh, other trainings like this, you know, pre-training camp, they're used to kind of burn off the vacation weight. They're used to get back in shape, get ready for, for preseason and the NFL season. Um, with this being virtual, how, what do you think the training uh, timeline will look like? Because LeBron, I'll speak to what LeBron said. He said um, he'll need, when the season starts back, he'll need a – two-week training camp minimum and five to ten exhibition games games that don't matter whatsoever game scrimmages basically so uh with that being said what do you think the nfl is going to do uh i think that you'll definitely 
you can see them extended out a little bit. They want to go through with the virtual, but I, it also kind of depends on when the country starts to reopen. You know, those are discussions being made right now. Uh, executives from the NBA, NFL, uh, MLB, MLS, uh, Dana White. There are a lot of people involved in these talks who want to open up the country. Um, and so that's going to be a, a crucial part of this. But, you know, if we do see the timeline as it is, you'll start, you'll see the virtual program and then hopefully you know you can start going into some open facilities for all the teams and just going through practices you I think it will be extended just for what you said people are going to need to burn off that weight quick people quick players are going to need to stay quick and the big players like your linemen are going to need to be able to push weight around again so you would hope that the NFL would give them the proper time uh, to finish that training but one other thing that I think is getting overlooked on this is we've seen injury after injury in the NFL the past couple seasons and so if you're bringing these players back quicker than normal without time to, uh, you know, stretch these muscles, get fully prepared, you'll see more injuries than ever before, which, uh, you know, I don't want on anyone knock on wood, but that's something that the NFL is going to have to take into consideration. Josh, that's what I've been saying since day one for the NBA. I mean, you know, we watched the, uh, we watched the finals game one tonight. I mean, you saw, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, uh, you saw the, the energy and the hustle, I mean, displayed by both teams, the, I mean, the, the absolute do or die. I have to give everything I've ever given right now on the court. I think if that's going to be the playoff atmosphere, the playoff mindset um, when we do return. So I think that the NBA has to fa face the same concerns. Well, I mean, yeah, injury is, is a concern in every sport, but uh, I, I think that it's, a little bit of a greater concern if you don't if you don't give the NFL players time to integrate because it is a contact sport and the number of inter, uh, number of injuries that you've seen the past couple of years so it's been higher than the NBA uh, and so, so I, I think it, both leagues are definitely important you never want to see anyone get injured and you want to take the correct precautions um, but I, I think that. It's for the for the NFL players. This is starting from scratch. It's not it's not a break. This is complete well, I mean, complete off season. Well, this break is going to be just as long as the NBA off season. Yeah, you got a good point there. But it's like I said, and it's and you know, well, like what LeBron just said. I've been saying that they'll probably do a a, a two week uh, training camp and then they'll open it back up. I, I haven't said the five to ten exhibition games, but you could do five to ten exhibition games in two weeks, kind of what you said, have a month program to get back into it. I I, I don't think that the NBA could do that, but I see them more of doing a, a two-week training and scrimmages, wrapping that all into one, uh, and then trying to get games back out there. Maybe give them a, a week of exhibition games at most. And you know, Kyler, talking about uh, you know, leagues getting pushed back or the timeline for leagues. The Chinese Basketball Association just postponed uh, the start of their league. Did you see that? I did, and I was a little saddened by it. You know, I was hoping I'd get something, something live to, you know, place a little, place a little wager on, um, you know, friendly wager only, of course. Yeah, we'd been talking about how the Chinese basketball is what was going to get us through quarantine, and we had yet to see it, yet to see it, and then this news comes out, and it's, it's really disheartening, you know, whenever you start to get excited about sports, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, sometimes it does turn out to be a train. Yep, another heartbreak. And it was another time that I was an optimist and I was a sucker hoping that we'd get sports back. So, Josh, I do actually have um, some breaking news. Breaking news of when we're going to get sports back. Okay. I was tuned in to Quinn Cook's Instagram Live last night. He said he was he got he he said I can't remember if he had somebody on or if he said this to just the people um, you know commenting and such on his Instagram live. They told him we're coming back late July, early August. Well, I would be you know it's it's a late start, but I'm excited for it if that's the case. Now that and now that makes me wonder if he meant the season, if he meant. That's when they're planning to bring them back into the facilities. Uh, I imagine he meant um, that's when they want to start the season. That's and, what, and that would mean bring that would mean bring the players back to the facilities if if they wanted to follow what LeBron was talking about in probably early July, late June. 
Yeah, probably mid to late June if they want to follow kind of what LeBron's talking about and give them the proper – which – and I think that they have all the, all the tools necessary if they do want to follow that path. Then they do have the tools where they can bring their own players in for workouts for two to three weeks. And then they have the, the ability to, you know, bring players who, are, who have tested and not been – you know, who obviously don't have it. They have the ability to bring those – to remote locations and play those scrimmages that the players are wanting to get those bodies tuned back. And so you can do that before bringing everything back to the season, trying to even look at integrating fans. Um, but if you're doing it without fans, then the options are way more wide open than otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking to my friend about, you know, playing without fans and, you know, the different scenarios they might, they might look at taking to sequester the players in different hotels or different, you know, the same state or something like that. And I think, when you think about it, it's really just not feasible. And I think especially for the MLB, doing it for a continued number of weeks. Um, but I think, I think with the, uh, you know, like Quinn Cook said early, early um, August, you know, Josh, it's April 15th. So that's a long time away. Uh, hopefully we get something before then. Um, you know, we have heard news about, you know, some sort of antibody tests that are supposed to come out in the next week or two that are they're supposed to be pretty widespread that should – really ramp up testing and um so hopefully that should speed up um not only the economy but um sports in general yeah and i saw that the testing it's uh, they are they also um have come out with the saliva test that's supposed to be able to you know get that the results back a lot quicker get this test out to more people so hopefully we start to see this uh, pretty quick i think the the newest thing i'd heard was a peak around here on the 30th of april so uh, a lot of what I've heard is that hopefully we get to see stuff start opening back up uh, in June, um, beginning of June, mid-June. So hopefully, uh, you know, we get everything starting back up and getting the country opened up uh, properly, but quickly. Yeah, definitely. I'm still seeing, I'm still seeing um, June 1st or that first weekend of June is for golf. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that at the, right there at the beginning of June is when some of these sports will get to start back. And, and so that's what I'm holding out for, man. I'm just got my fingers crossed and I'm, I'm kind of, it's kind of let me down over and over being the optimist. So I'm going to hold out for one last go of it. Yep. Until then, Josh, I think we might have it uh, planned out perfectly so that when we get through with this final series, we might have some live sports. If we can make that happen, Oh, I'd be so happy. So uh, we'll get right to that. But first, uh, Josh, you had an ad you wanted to read. <laughs> hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Thanks for listening so far. A quick break here to remind all of you to follow our social media pages on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Burst Your Bubble and our logo and page will pop up. Also, be sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and following on Spotify. This will make sure you get all the episodes the minute we release them. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a five-star rating and a review. Here's back to the show. All right, we promised you guys that we were going to start recapping one of the uh, one of the best final series from late, and uh, it was the 2016 NBA Finals. So Kyler and I started with Game One. We're going to break that down for you. Uh, Kyler, it was a uh, I want to say a barn burner, but it it, uh, it, it wasn't. I mean, it was a pretty close game, Josh. I mean, it was uh, – I enjoyed it thoroughly. The Cavs ended up tying it up. Uh, I think they actually had the lead 68-67 at half, I believe. Um, and even late, um, with about four or so minutes left, it was an 11-point game. Yeah, I mean, it, it went back and forth. They kind of battled with a one-point lead uh, in the third, uh, back and forth, shot for shot. Uh, and, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and – I've got my blame. I've got my blame place. So uh, we do have three segments for this. So it's going to be underperformer, breakout star, MVP of the game. Did you call that blame place? That's a new segment. So we're going to call it a new segment, blame place. Go ahead. So my blame place here is on Matthew Delvadova. Delhi. So what, why, why does Delhi get the blame here? Delhi killed all momentum by hitting Iguodala in the balls they reviewed that for 30 minutes, and it killed every bit of momentum that the Cavs had. It was the craziest thing. They were coming back, playing within one, shot for shot. As soon as that happens, 
the Warriors on the other end go down, hit a three, start extending the lead, and they don't look back. That's a great call by you, Josh. I had him hitting uh, Iggy in the nuts. Uh, that was in like the comedy section I have for this, um, along with Steve Kerr and his little sideline report, sideline interviews that were just hilarious. Um, that Josh, that I, Iggy almost took Delhi's head off. He was about to hit him with that ball into next year. Yeah, Delhi is glad that Iguodala is a veteran and held his composure and had twenty people swarm him before they could do anything. Ah, but I ah, it frustrated me so bad because the the Cavs were on such a roll. You're you're into the game. You're thinking, okay, this is it. This is LeBron's coming in here, game one. This is what we're doing. Cavs are going to take this at that point in the game. And then as soon as that happened, it thirty minutes go by, and then it's just flat. Yeah, Josh, and I think I think uh, this here's an idea for ESPN, and we're going to throw a couple of these out. I, I continue to throw these out. They just need to implement for free. I'll go ahead and just give it to y'all. This is my permission. Um, we need they need to release a subscription service, um, eighteen plus that at least four or five of the players are mic'd up, because I would pay thirty five dollars a month to know what Andre Godala said to Delhi right then. A hundred percent. That is a fantastic idea. I would subscribe immediately because there are so many players that I want to know. And well, some players don't need to be mic'd up because you're going to hear what they're going to say. Like Russell Westbrook, whenever exactly. he's on, you know what he says, but there are some of those quiet players that would, I would definitely love to know what they're saying under their breath. Uh, so did you have a, uh, did you have a necessary blame piece or do you want to go into the segments? So blame place, I'm going to go ahead with Kyrie Irving. Uh, to me, I'll pull up a stat line now. Um, it, he just seemed like he was off all game. Uh, speak a little bit on that, Josh, while I look up his stat line. Uh, well, I, I mean, you know, he's your blame place. I, I don't put the, the blame necessarily on Kyrie, but he definitely wasn't in his rhythm. I think he ended up dropping 26 points. Uh, I'm not looking at the stats, but I think that's what he ended up with. Um, and so, I mean, his he was scoring, but I think he probably shot like seven or nine for – 19 or something like that it, it, it wasn't a good percentage but he did score uh and I mean he he did good on the defensive end for the most part so I, I you know it wasn't his best game by far but I, I definitely wouldn't throw the blame his way like you would yeah but uh I think I think Kyrie Irving he gets my blame place uh he just he consistently missed big shots that they needed to knock down to to complete the comeback uh he was missing shots early and often um layups Tough layups. I mean, he and of course you said he had twenty six. So and he probably did shoot. You know, probably somewhere nine nine of twenty three. I would say. But um, if I had to guess, but you know, I just think that he gets to blame for this for for not showing up when they really needed him. And I also think you know he can't really be at fault for that um, completely. But he gets my blame place. Understood. You know, everyone has you know their one spot. So let's go. Let's dive into the the other segments that we have. Definitely. Next up is going to be the underperformer. So, so my underperformers, I have multiple. I'm going to say big stars. I think that all the stars, the, the top five that you would mention, Steph, Clay, Kevin Love, LeBron, and Kyrie, they all underperformed. Uh, Kyrie and LeBron had 26 and 23. Kevin Love had 17 and 13. Uh, LeBron almost had a triple-double, so it's crazy to say that he underperformed with 23, 12, and 9. But he did. Uh, Andre Iguodala played solid defense on him. Stephen Clay shot horrendous. Uh, it was one of the worst shooting performances that those two have had. Uh, they had uh, 11 points for Steph, 9 points for Clay. So, you know, they, they weren't contributing like they, like they normally would. So I, all the big stars underperformed heavily in game one. It, they both teams relied a lot on their uh, on the role players or just their stars taking a lot of shots. That's a good call there. You know, uh, Kyrie Irving was seven for twenty two. I think I said nine for twenty four, so I was exactly right um, percentage wise. Uh, he did have twenty six points, so he did play pretty well. Um, you could say he was the underperformer, um, and he probably was my underperformer, um, but I put his I put him as my blame. So I would say the underperformer. I would say J.R. Smith, just for the fact that he's not jacking up shots in this game. Um, he only had three shots, and Mike Breen even commented on it at one point. He, um, or it might have been uh, Mark Jackson. He said they had a technical, and he said that, you know, they should have brought in J.R. Smith to shoot that because he hasn't got a shot yet. 
and I think it was deep into the second quarter. He only ended up one for three in 36 minutes. So my underperformer is J.R. Smith for not forcing the issue and getting some shots up. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a solid underperformer. But, you know, you got you to gotta, gotta give the man some credit. He tore some of that skin off on his hand, diving on the ground. So, I mean, you, you don't know how much that, that affected his hand. He was asking to get taken out of the game at one point. I guess so. <laughs> All right, what's our next? So next up is going to be the breakout star. Who's your breakout star, Josh? Breakout star, hands down, is Sean Livingston. Uh, you could you could include the entire Warriors bench if you wanted to, but I, I'm going to throw out Sean Livingston because he was hitting mid-range shots on everyone. Didn't matter who was jumping at him, uh, Kevin Love, Kyrie at one point. It, like, it didn't matter who was there. He was hitting shots in their face. He played at a high level. And what was important about Sean Livingston, he did it at the – end of the game where sh- where it mattered points mattered to extend that lead that they had to extend that run out because Steph Curry sat out until there was like six minutes left in the fourth quarter because Sean Livingston was playing at such a high level and Steph Curry wasn't tonight so I, I think that he's definitely my breakout I like that and uh my breakout is going to be uh the Brazilian blur we've given him a bunch of love on this podcast before um in the earlier Suns breakdowns I had Leandro Barbosa, 11 minutes, 11 points. He's a plus 14, five of five. Josh, when he was in the game, he impacted it so well. And what really stood out to me is when Steph Curry was out of the game, players like Leandro Barbosa and Sean Livingston really played the key uh, offensive creator role. And the, Josh, they, they demanded attention from uh, multiple multiple defenders when they had the ball, when they were driving, or they were going to score. Leandro Barbosa was going to get to the rim and finish. Sean Livingston was going to shoot right over anybody guarding him, especially the smaller point guards. So a great call on those two being the breakout stars. Um, And this was really pre-Clay Thompson being, you know, an established go-to guy for four straight quarters. You know, being able to get open consistently with eight minutes left in the the second quarter. You know what I mean? Just – not just when he needs to, but, you know, always when he wants to. Yeah, it's a, it's a good call by Barbosa. He played a, he played a solid game getting, getting involved in the offense. I, I, the Clay Thompson, if you look at the series right before that, Clay Thompson is, is – uh, you have a point saying that whenever – this is before he did it all the time, but if you look back a series at what he did to Oklahoma City, it was uh, pretty, pretty remarkable, but – I would definitely agree with you there. And it, and it just shows out that those two had such off games and everyone else performed as well as they did. It's crazy to think that your team doesn't need your two biggest stars to win the NBA Finals. To win a game, you mean? Yeah, to win a game in the, to win a game in the Finals. Well, I mean, here's where I would disagree with that, Josh, is that even though they struggled the whole game, um, you know, I guess we'll not get into the breakdown of the game before we get to the MVP. Um, they struggled the whole game. Uh, they had a somewhat of a 15-point lead or something in the second. The Cavs ended up tying it, you know, have, switching, going back and forth. And I think it got to 11 with about three and a half minutes left. And Steph and Clay were combined for 17 points, I think. Or they were combined for 14 points at that point. And they've knocked down back-to-back huge threes with just about three minutes left to negate any of the Cavs' comeback. And I think that's what really sealed it. And I think without that, the Cavs, that's, the, that's probably the big, my biggest what-if of the game. You know, what if one of those or both those threes don't fall? I think the Cavs have a really good shot at winning this game. Yeah, and they could have. And if they – I mean, if they would have missed those three, I mean, both of those threes, that would have put them at eight and six points respectively for Steph and Clay. So, you, you talk about, you know, a lack of offensive production from your stars, and that is it. Even with those threes going down, I mean, 11 points and nine points from those two players is unacceptable in a finals game. That is it, – it is absolutely ridiculous that those two shot that poorly. And the – and the Golden State Warriors come out on top. If those two players, if I tell you before we watch this game or before 2016 that the Golden State Warriors win the game with Steph and Clay scoring 11 and 9, you you don't believe me. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's worth noting that um, Iguodala was definitely um, 
submitting his case for the back-to-back finals MVP early. Uh, he, he had a huge – two big steals um, midway through the second, one big strip on LeBron when he was going up for a, for a finish at the rim. Um, he was beginning his, fa- his case for the finals MVP. Um, LeBron, he was just peak, peak LeBron. I mean, looking back on the 2013 series I watched a couple weeks ago, comparing it to this, Josh, he hasn't lost even a quarter of a step. He's just as fast, but he's a better offensive player. He's smarter. He will go get a bucket at any, any time. And then he's playing that free safety role so well. He's not having to guard the Kevin Durant, the Kawhi Leonard. He's out there, Josh, he's, he's guarding Harrison Barnes or, or you know, Festus Azili. He's playing that free safety role better than Tyron Matthew. Hmm. Sorry, dude, I about threw up. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, uh, I I would agree that LeBron has not lost a step. He's playing just as well offensively. And the main thing that I can see, you know, in that progression, which he's always been a great one, but the passing for LeBron in the IQ of where the ball needs to go before it even starts is so high. He's so efficient with the basketball in that regard and being able to know exactly where the ball needs to go. It, it is incredible. Uh, I'll speak on Andre Iguodala uh, here in a little while, but um, – LeBron is is playing at the highest level ever. He's done it this entire playoffs, and and it's still showing. I mean, he he's he hasn't lost a step. He's I, I will need to see a little bit more from him. Uh, you know, Andre Iguodala is going to be guarding him. Andre shut him down last year, and that you know that's what caused him to get back in 2015. So that's what caused him to win the MVP Finals. And LeBron had some struggles against that. So I'm going to need to see a a little bit more efficiency and offensive production from LeBron uh, moving forward. Definitely. You know, that's crazy, too. They just hired Tyron Lue like 20 games, 30 games left in the regular season. They just, they had fired David Blatt, I think, was the coach, and they hired Tyron Lue. And, um, yeah, that's that's a crazy move to make uh, really late in the season. I mean, you see uh, J.R. Smith and Amon Schumbert playing a big role in this game. Um, not really playing that well, you know, like I said, with J.R. Smith, but uh, – Delhi, like I said, playing a huge role. Uh, Livingston and Bogut playing a really big role for uh, Golden State. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun continuing watching forward. Um, Josh, who do you have for MVP if you don't have anything else on the game? So my MVP and what I have left is you kind of hit on him, Andre Guadalla. He already started making his case for back-to-back finals MVPs. The man, like you said, he had a great stop on LeBron, stripped Kyrie, uh, had another block moving down the stretch, hit critical threes going down, uh, was making plays, forcing offensive rebounds, forcing just basketball plays to happen. If you have a guy that's going to get on the ground, if you have a guy that's going to make the extra effort, it is Andre, Andre Iguodala, and it was Andre Iguodala in this game. He he outworked everyone. He's coming off the bench. He he's he plays that, that great position and the great role that he does. He knows exactly how to fill in on that team and fill into – exactly what they need him to do and he does it to perfection he plays defense like no other person he knows exactly how to get those angles without fouling to slap the ball or poke the ball away and he and it proved he picked back up right where he left off in 2015 so uh game one my mvp is definitely going to andre guadala that's a good call there i can't disagree with that uh, this was definitely andre guadala's best game of the series um best one of, of if two uh, best top two for sure. Um, going back on his, for just one second about what you said about LeBron's playmaking, I think that was really improved last year in um, in the finals, in the 2015 finals, um, where Kyrie Irving went down game one with the broken kneecap and Kevin Love was out. I think in that situation, in a time where it was only him, a lot of iso ball, that, that also helped him a lot with what I was talking about, with I can go get a bucket, I can go stand anywhere on the floor, that where I want, when I want, nobody can stop me. I'm too big. I'm too strong. That gave him the confidence that he can do that. And it also gave him the ability to pass to nobodies and, you know, the confidence to do that and trust his teammates. And now he has Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love there. Well, and he also has J.R. Smith and uh, Channing Fry, who played great through the regular season, shot the ball terrific through the regular season. And they just did not, they just did not show up in game one. But, and that's another reason that he trusts these guys. Going back to 2015 finals, yeah, a lot of ice ball, him having to dish the ball out whenever he's driven eight times straight into the basket and he's finally tired for a series. 
So I would agree there, but these guys shooting as well as they did this year gave him the confidence to continue to pass to them. And they, the Golden State Warriors played good enough defense tonight where they couldn't get those shots off uh, like he wanted. But I definitely agree. Yeah, and that, I mean, I'm probably going to go back and rewatch the 2015 finals tomorrow just because, I mean, I really wish, Josh, we could have gotten Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love healthy that year as well and gotten back-to-back matchups of this, of this finals two years in a row. That would have been great basketball. It would have been, and, you know, it would have been way more exciting than the 2015 series that we had. And I think it would have taken a little bit of a, the blemish that LeBron has on his on his, uh, you know, sheet now because a lot of people hold that series against him when, you know, he had two big of his biggest stars, his teammates, go down and he didn't have them for the finals. So that's, you know, it's tough to put all on LeBron. Yeah, Josh, and with the uh, upcoming Michael Jordan documentary, I'm sure we'll get in – we'll get – we'll dive really deep into LeBron James's finals record, um, pending some arguments coming up. But uh, moving on to my MVP, it's got to be Sean Livingston. He had a hell of a game, 20 points. He shot 8 of 10 from the field, 4 of 4 from the line. He had seven, four rebounds. One of them was an offensive rebound and a putback that was huge in the – I think it was the end of the third. Uh, he had three assists and a steal. I mean, Josh, he was huge in this game. Like I noted earlier, when Steph was out of the game, he took over that offensive responsibility, and he was driving on those smaller, gu- smaller guards, posting them up, and shooting right over them. Yeah, and like I said earlier, he did it all at the crucial time with, you know, they didn't take him out until six minutes left in the game because he gave Steph Curry a long enough break because he was playing at the high level that Steph Curry wasn't this game. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to trust your stars to play, but it gave – Steve Kerr, the confidence to leave Livingston out there, the veteran that he was, leave him out there and to continue to make those shots. And he, he hit them every time. Yeah, and Josh, you know, rewatching this, uh, it's really getting me excited for, for next year, the next NBA season, when we, get, when we get Stephen Clay and Draymond back, because Draymond is at his peak powers in this, in this final series, Josh. I think, man, I mean, we'll get into it, you know, obviously more as we break this down game by game. Uh, Man, Draymond, this is the best series he's ever had. And if they, if they could have just pulled that, pulled it out, man, he would he would have got his finals MVP. Draymond, as of right now in game one from our from our podcast episode today, he's very underrated because he had a great game. He played a lot of really good basketball. He missed a a really bad couple of wide open threes, but that's just Draymond. But other than that, his, his stats were great. He, you know, he did what he needed to do on the offensive glass. He played the defense that Draymond does, uh, took a charge on LeBron towards the beginning of the game. I mean, he, he does the things right that he needs to do and to be able to get in your head afterwards. He's an emotional player. Uh, he's a dirty player. Uh, he'll kick in the balls if you don't, if you don't watch out. But in, in game one, he, he was very underrated and he, he's a sleeper pick. Yeah, I'll be watching Draymond pretty close. Uh, continuing on with game two, uh, that'll, the breakdown for that will come on Friday's episode, of course. Um, so be, be on the lookout for that. Watch game one, of course, uh, you know, on the NBA TV app. Just download it, sign in. It's super easy. Just create an account. You get the free access um, until the end of the lockout or the end of the hiatus, whatever. Go ahead and do it. Watch the games with us. Let's have a lot of fun with it. Um, Josh, you ready for the totem pole? Yes, sir. So, uh, totem pole's back. We're going to uh, we've got a we've got a fun one today. So, this is going to be top and bottom, top three, bottom two Adam Sandler movies. So, Kyler, will as tradition, we'll start at the bottom. Do you want to go ahead and start off, or do you want me to? Uh, you go ahead. Okay, number one on the bottom of my list is without a doubt Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill is the worst Adam Sandler movie. I couldn't get into it. There's no point to the movie. It was – you couldn't watch it. Not worth – not even worth being able to watch it for free on Hulu or Netflix or any other place you could watch it. Horrible movie. That's a great call there, Josh. That is such a bad movie. I can't <laughs> – Josh, and the thing is, uh, my wife, Alyssa, she actually really likes that movie. She she thoroughly thought it was – she said it was, you know, bad, you know, but cheesy, but she she enjoyed it. Oh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I probably couldn't get through it again if I tried to watch it, to be honest with you. Josh, I couldn't get through it. I couldn't get through it the first time. 
that's my point. I know I couldn't now. I don't have the confidence in it. All right, so let's move to your bottom one. All right, so my bottom one, man, this is tough. This is really, really tough. I am going to say the water boy. What did you just say? We're doing the bottom. Josh, I didn't like Waterboy. I didn't like it. It was I mean the storyline was kind of basic. It was you know, I just this was by far Adam Sandler's worst movie of the 90s. No, Kyler, use the devil. And besides besides uh the writing was decent, not horrible, not good, but yeah, the water boy is definitely at the bottom of my totem pole. My mind is blown right now. Oh man! I guess to, I guess to you, uh, the water boy would be like Swiss rolls. That is no. This is way worse than Swiss rolls. This is the water boy. Mom said. All, Mom said alligators so mad because they got all them teeth and no toothbrush. That's that's com- that's comedic gold, man. Ugh. I'm. I don't know if I've ever been more disappointed. Not a good movie. Oh my god! Okay, doesn't hold up. Uh, we're moving on because I'm just getting mad sitting here. Well, I didn't watch it. To be fair, I didn't watch it until a year and a half ago, probably, and it uh, it, it just didn't hold up to me whatsoever. So I mean, maybe maybe back then it was really good, but when it came out and more recently, but um, I've got it. My throat's getting itchy. My face is getting red. I can feel it. Okay, uh, my second to bottom one uh, is Eight Crazy Nights. It was a cartoon that Adam Sandler did early 2000s. Uh, I didn't really get into it whenever I first kind of watched it. and I, It was just one of those ones where I just never really got into. Didn't find it that – it was not appealing to me. I'm the same way with the next one on my list. It's called The Ridiculous Six. I watched about 30 minutes of it when it came out on Netflix, and – uh, yeah, it was really bad. I couldn't get into it whatsoever. Um, it was something about this boy on an Indian reservation. And I, Josh, I couldn't get into it at all. It was horrible. Yeah, honestly, that's that would be my uh, that would be my next bottom one. It was it was not a good movie. Not a good movie. All right, let's move to the top. Who goes first, me or you? Well, we'll keep the trend going. I guess I'll go first. I'll go ahead and take the best Adam Sandler movie. I'm going to go, I'm going to, what do you want to play? Rock, paper, scissors? Yeah, let's go rock, paper, scissors. All right, so rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay, here we go again. All right, I go first. Scissor beats paper. That was was great podcasting, by the way. But uh, (laughs) I, I think you cheated. You guys missed a great rock, paper, scissors match out there. I won. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and claim the top Adam Sandler movie, uh, Happy Gilmore. Oh, Happy Gilmore is the best Adam Sandler movie. If you haven't seen it, I don't know what you've ever done with your life, and you should probably change that. Uh, it has everything that you would ask for in a movie, a sports movie at that. It is it is gold in every level, comedy, romance, anything you could ask for, Happy Gilmore can give it to you. That's a great call there, Josh. That is by far his best movie. One of the best movies of all time, if I do say. I would agree with that. It's, it is oh, it is so good. I love it. So, Josh, I'm going to go with Billy Madison. Oh. It was fantastic. Adam Sandler, he, he also wrote the movie, uh, which he also did with Happy Gilmore. Um, it was just fantastic. This was a string of Two straight movies for Adam Sandler, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, back-to-back, followed by Bulletproof and The Wedding Singer. So <laughs> not bad, not a bad streak there by Adam Sandler. Uh, Happy Gilmore doesn't hold up as well today, um, but, you know, when I saw it, when I, when I, you know, back in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, I loved it. It was my favorite movie. Um, to this day, it doesn't hold up as well just because of some of the you know, cultural things today. Um, but it was a really good movie. Oh, people just need to calm down. Happy Gilmore is funny always. There are, 
it's Adam Sandler comedy. You've got to get over it. And both of these movies are, are very funny. Billy Madison is a great choice to be the top. But Happy Gilmore is funny. I don't care when it's being played. There are still famous golfers and baseball players and everyone that goes out to a golf course and at least once in your life have done the Happy Gilmore swing. And if you haven't, I will call you a liar to your face. All right. Josh. So my second one, and this is honestly, this is very tough because there are so many uh, great, great, great Adam Sandler movies. Um, but I'm going to go opposite of you. Number two on my list is, is the water boy. I think that the, the water boy wow. was, it was such a good movie. There's so many one liners there. It's, there's so much to choose from uh, it, it. Everything opposite of what you said is true. This movie it makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It, it has all the pieces of it. You know, a guy being being trapped by his by his mom who doesn't want him to do anything dangerous, but who has the ability to to best the other team. It, this is one of those great, great Adam Sandler movies. Uh, yeah, Josh, I'm just going to disagree and move on to my second pick. And um, that's going to be Grown Ups. I mean, this had everything Josh it had. And I think um, kind of what, what helped Adam Sandler here because, you know, his recent movies haven't been his best. I would say, uh, you know, we actually had an argument earlier and I was completely wrong. I'll say it. Um, I was, I was saying that Adam Sandler's best movies were in the nineties. And then I looked up all the movies he has put out and a lot of them came in the mid two thousands, late two thousands. But uh, with grownups, it, it definitely benefited from, from all the stars that were in it. And Adam Sandler did as well. Um, with Kevin James, you know, Chris Rock, everyone else that, that participated in that movie. It was very quotable. It had everything. It had a feel-good story, had sports, it had the family, it had vacation, it had a bad sequel. So it had everything. It's second on my list. I don't have a problem with that. Grown Ups was a good movie. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Grown Ups was really good. I thought that the whole cast brought it together, and Adam Sandler did a good job of playing that That lead on there bringing everyone together so i'm i'm okay with that one so for my third choice i had man i'm gonna tell you this this was very hard for me because there are two movies that could go either way on my list for adam sandler um and this was another one of those uh you know it was a mid-2000s early 2000s i'm gonna go with the longest yard Mm, nice I think that it's just a, a classic football movie that Adam Sandler uh, played really well in. It's it's super funny. has a lot of great names in it. So I was I, I was having to decide between. So we haven't had any like you have, we haven't taken each other's pick um, in this one. I don't think except for the bottom. So uh, I, I was deciding between two, uh, that one, and Bedtime Stories. Bedtime Stories is such a good movie. I loved it when I was when it came out in in oh eight. You know I was I think probably 10, 10 years old, 11 years old when it came out. So I loved it then. Now, you know, I have a daughter, of course. So, uh, you know, we've rewatched it at least probably 10 or 15 times. Still love it. Still holds up very well. Bedtime Stories is going to round out my list. Man, very, very tough there. You, I mean, like I said, you took the longest yard from me. But, I mean, there were three other movies I could have put there. Yeah, easily. I had two uh, right off the top of my head that were, uh, you know, that were great. And we can we can give a couple honorable mentions, I guess. They won't go on our list, but uh, a couple we'll, – we can go back and forth for a couple if you have mm-hmm. some. Uh, my first honorable mention was 51st Dates. Uh, great movie. It's, it's a solid Adam Sandler movie. It's, it's a classic. Yeah, Uncut Gems was super good. If you haven't seen it yet, you need to go watch it. Um, it was about the 20 20- – 2008 finals, I believe. Yeah, 2008 finals. Or it might have been the 10 finals. Yes, it was the 10 finals because the Celtics lost in the finals. Yeah, lost in the finals because it was about the Eastern Conference finals and before that. Um, yeah, so Uncut Gems would be my, my recommendation there. Um, I mean, he also produced Benchwarmers, if we want to count that. Uh, I mean, like I said, I didn't like Grown Ups 2. Um, how did you feel about it? I, it, wasn't, it wasn't near as good. Um, it, yeah, Grown Ups 2 was not near as good as the other one. But my other recommendation would be the wedding singer mm-hmm. another one of those 90s movies that it's it's just a super solid classic not one not one for the little kids but uh it, it is another one of those adam sandler classics that is just comedic gold yeah i mean click i'm um, anger management uh josh all of these mr the, the list goes on the the list goes on adam sandler's put together a hell of a career it's hard to it's hard to take just the top three and uh, i think the longest yard 
filled that spot out for me because I, I spent, I rented that movie. Actually, I ended up buying it through college and I played it for most nights when I was going to sleep. So uh, I still do it every now and then. My wife's so tired of hearing the soundtrack for The Longest Yard. If I play it, I'm probably going to play it tonight now. She's probably going to hit me. So. Yeah, Josh, imagine having all of these great movies, wonderful movies, and putting I, The Waterboy in your top three. I'm, I feel so comfortable about that. You can't even understand how upset I am that you put it at your bottom. It, it makes me, I, I, less, I can't talk about it again. My face is getting itchy. My face is getting red. My throat's getting itchy again. So other than that, man, this has been a, a, a Yeah, really we might fun, just need to end this now. Yeah, I don't even really want to do an ending here, but it was a fun video until my face got red and my throat's closing up. Maybe I'm allergic to something. Probably that take. <laughs> But this was fun, man. Uh, uh, look forward to Friday with a good interview. I love it, man. I'll see you then. All right. Talk to you later. Later, bro.